0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: it's just myself this week no mark smith he isn't here but i'm sure he'll be making his presence felt uh, we had two great guests this week um regulars well one of them was uh, mr gareth dobson um and also uh irregular but brilliant Coverage from uh, Gregor Robertson, who joined us today. We also had a call from um, Miguel Delaney, who let us know the ins and outs of FFP for us laymen. Um, so I hope you listen and enjoy um, the show.
0: Work good, good. Nah, you good lads. See you later.
1: Well, that was Mark Smith, and he will be much missed tonight. Uh, The respect that he shows us and this show we miss, but what what we do have tonight is two excellent guests, uh, regular, Mr Gareth Dobson. Pleasure to be here. It's excellent to have you, sir, Uh, and also a roving reporter uh, for us and also his parent job, um, Mr Gregor Robertson. Gregor, it's a pleasure to have you. Good to be here. Where have you you been this weekend, just out of interest?
2: Uh, I was at Portman Road, Ipswich Town, Paul Lambert, depressing. We'll That's, come to that later. <laughs> let's come on to that. Let's
1: let's start on a high. I don't want Mark Smith to get any up one-upmanship on us. Um, Gareth, what have you been up to? Have you been enjoying, enjoying the football this weekend? I've been enjoying the fact that, essentially, you could
3: watch every single Premier League fixture over the last two weeks. Um, they've all had individual TV slots. And what I've realised is that, as a product, it's a lot more fun to watch matches of the day than it is to watch nine individual games. Well,
1: since you used the the word product in that sentence, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean it straight onto our opening bit, which is um, it, don't switch off, listeners, uh, when you hear the word FFP. Is because mainly I don't have a clue what's going on. Gregor, you look at me like you know, I was dirt on your shoe there because obviously you do know what's going on being a football journalist these days. Gareth, will come on to it in a minute. I want to ask the expert opinion of a man that's um, fired primarily by FFP this weekend, a long-time supporter of the pod, uh, Miguel Delaney, who we asked two questions to answer uh, for laymen, such as ourselves. Uh, The first one being... um, FFP was supposed to keep clubs in check. Let's have a listen to what he says about that. And also, uh, why is there uproar saying that FFP doesn't work? So let's have a listen now.
0: What does FFP mean for City? To the layman, it's supposed to keep clubs in check. Yeah, well, ultimately, that is very much the sentiment behind the whole process. And this is really the first time... The model that ended up being FFP was, was discussed was 20 years ago. So there's been this spin put out there that it was basically exclusively, de- exclusively designed to um, deny clubs like PSG, like City, who are owned by ultimately petrol states, from just pumping in as much money as they want. And while that was that did become a consideration, the fundamental point behind FFP for what is actually quite a sophisticated model is basically to encourage financial prudence with clubs. And given the context it came in on, which was basically when there was kind of rampant spending in Europe and a lot of clubs in the brink, you only have to look at the cases of Valencia and Leeds United. It has been very successful in that method. Now, I suppose the issue with FFP is that, as happens with a lot of sport and regulation, it's reactive. This is even allowing for the fact that it is very sophisticated. But because it's somewhat reactive, it almost tackles these problems too late, and so, I mean, there has certainly been a degree of that it has preserved the elites, that it's difficult for people to break in. For example, the Blackburn Rovers case, Jack Walker pumping 100 million in to win the league, wouldn't be so possible now. But if you look at this, imagine a imagine football world without FFP. Because with FFP, City have already put together the most expensive squad of all time and redrawn the record books in English football for two consecutive seasons. So imagine what it would look like without FFP. It would be, you know, a game totally beholden to the wealth of a petro state. Um, so FFP has problems, but in principle, it's a good thing. And also, I think it's absolutely right that there are, there are checks on, on the unlimited spending of states like this. That, that shouldn't be forgotten in all this. To just give them carte blanche would be wrong for the game.
1: Well, there's a, there's a feeling about, you know, have you seen Back to the Future Part 2? I have. You know, the uh, old sports almanac. Um, Miguel seems to make some excellent points there, particularly that, you know, what if we didn't have FFP? Um, quite depressing. Stark reading either way. Gareth, uh, I don't know if you've kept up with any of the reporting this weekend, but what do you make of that? I, I,
3: I have I have to admit, I've, I've delved in headfirst. I, I find it weirdly fascinating. I, I think, in fairness, I think a lot of football fans always enjoy seeing a huge club take, take it you know a heck of a beating um it i think the most important thing to to remember in this situation is that the the size of the fine and the length of the ban is not because they've broken fair play rules uh, financial fair play rules in terms of you know they spent more than they had they've had this huge uh, ban because they lied about their income they obscured it um they've basically uh, to quote uh, the Guardian journalist David it, it It's a trust issue. They, they've basically broken a massive uh, trust situation with UEFA, and that's why they're being hit so hard.
1: Gregor, pick up on that one. From so <laughs> basically, well, it, in terms of it, a trust issue, but also, you know, a, a city getting becoming full guys for this one, or is it a, do they deserve what's coming to them?
2: So, I, I broadly speaking, I agree with Miguel because. You know, there have been a lot of voices, actually, in, in the last few days, you know, very kind of well-respected journalists who believe, you know, they sort of opened up a debate about financial fair play and its merits uh, and its efficacy. Um, and I agree with Miguel in that it, without it, what you just have an untrammeled wealth yeah. from oligarchs and Gulf states. So I don't really want to think about the alternative, personally. Um, I think in City, City, you know, City do have some... Grounds for uh, grievance in that Paris Saint-Germain in particular uh, spent a heck of a lot of money on Neymar and Mbappe and managed to not be punished by Yeah, by, well, that's uh, by a valid Eiffel. point. That was only uh, £400 million for two indeed. players. Juventus, indeed. Juventus also uh, are owned by the, the Agnelli family, who own Fiat, who own Jeep, and so they... Already have a sponsorship deal from Fiat, but they also took one from from yeah. Jeep, uh, and that was to fund uh, the purchase of, of Ronaldo. Essentially, or offset a lot of the cost of it. Bayern Munich are owned eight percent by Audi. I think they've had a bit of a spike in their sponsorship deal. So there are re- there are kind of well, other should... ways that, that, that there's some questionable sort of accountants, accountancy going on. But I think the thing, the biggest thing about Man City is that it looks to be really kind of a concerted effort. Yeah. And actually, it's not the first time. Uh, so, look, I, I think they're going to be found guilty, and I think really they, sh- they have to be punished because there's no point in having the rules otherwise.
1: Well, this is the, that's a great point, and it leads us on to the second question for Miguel. Uh, let's let's listen to what he had to say.
0: Why is there uproar about why FFP doesn't work? Well, I wouldn't say uproar. I think very much this is a narrative put out there by sources close to Man City that it, uh, you know, as I said in the previous answer, that it preserves the elite. Well, there is a degree of truth to that. Let's not go too far here. You know, there's there's been this argument put out there that it's some sort of cabal looking to preserve um, their their place at the top of the game. Well, City have been part of that cabal when it suited them. First of all, they've been involved in discussions of, of a European Super League and that is a threat that's hung over every single negotiation about redistribution in football, about any sort of sop away from the big clubs. They hang that over everything. That very much is a cabal. Secondly, Soriano in particular, and a lot of City officials, have led the charge against the redistribution of revenue in football, particularly in relation to one of the most recent changes in the Premier League, which is the first time the Premier League charter had been changed in relation to the distribution of money from international TV rights. The City were at the forefront of that, and it was the first change to the Premier League charter that saw it loaded towards the wealthiest and, and most successful clubs in that way. So, I mean, this this argument that, it, that it, you know serves the cabal, well, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> City, <laughs> city are perfectly willing to be part of that cabal another way. Um, so while there are issues with FFP in that way, again the the principle is correct, and I think this is this is essentially just spin that's been put out there, and it should be fought against.
1: That adds grist to the mill, Gregor, as we were just saying, basically reinforcing your your opinion.
2: Yeah, and the other thing to remember, I think, is that. Financial Fair Play regulations don't take into any consideration things like expenditure for infrastructure. So Man- Manchester City have built an entire campus. They've spent a lot of money on things that can increase their commercial revenue, non matchday revenue and things like that. That's all, you know, they could spent a lot of money doing that. That's increased their turnover. That, that you know, the idea that that that, that financial fair plays restricts them to such a degree that they can't compete with anyone. I think that's nonsense,
1: personally. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone that's been to the Etihad campus or just seen the, the, the developments of that club. I mean, Gareth, you've been to Manchester many times to watch football over the years. And just in terms of that, that area of Ancoats, how it's been invigorated. I know there's been a lot of mitigating circumstances such as Commonwealth Games and various things over the years, which has almost sparked the growth. But Indeed it's it is in a, it's a different place to, uh, to yeah, be it's, it's It's like a, it's like a mini metropolis and
3: you know, Liverpool, Man City and Spurs <clears> of all, you know, in the last, the last uh, half decade, like really pushed the boundaries of what, you know, a club can provide in terms of like training grounds and facilities and, you know, building new stadiums, redeveloping, you know, existing stadiums. And, you know, as you, as, 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 uh, uh, you you know, Gregor was saying, it's, they're given so much opportunity to build and grow
1: their club that they probably don't need to basically cheat the uh, cheat well, the ledger. Books. Well, the inter- interesting thing is, it's come at such an unfortunate time as well. You know, when teams are in the ascendancy, and there's almost like we would, if this happened to Liverpool, say that this happened to Liverpool, mm. how would we view that compared tonight? Because there's almost this apathy towards um anyone. It's like Man City are almost seen as, you know. It, they're the competitor, and if you support a Premier League team, but if you're pretty agnostic to it, oh, you're just like, well, what difference does it make? No, quite. I mean, I think more to the point, it, it, it's fascinating
3: that this has come at the exact point where people are almost considering this city team as yesterday's team. Well, it they. shows how quickly, you know, e, you know, even nine months ago, they were the best team in the Premier League, and then suddenly it's like, oh, it's a team full of ageing stars and... Yeah, you know, they're going to have to turn over the club, and will Pep go? Oh, and now he hasn't got <clears throat> European football for two years. It's it's fascinating how quickly things move. And I do get a sense in the media that there are people who are you know relishing this change of the status quo, which I think we all do when any team dominates for any stretch of time. As soon as things go south, there is definitely a little bit of crowing and a little bit of uh, amusement from the stands. Well, uh, sorry, I was going to
2: say the one one thing that's that's quite interesting, is that the the degree to the extent to which Manchester City are challenging the integrity and authority of UEFA is kind of like I'm not sure it's really been seen before. And UEFA, there's so many tensions now in the governance of the game. So UEFA, FIFA are trying to do a Club World Cup. Uh, UEFA are being undermined like this, and you know they're trying to bear their teeth. It even even filters down to. The way that you know domestic cup competitions and the FA, there's a there's a kind of there's a conflict between the EFL and the FA and the Premier League. All these governing bodies, they're no longer just governing bodies; they're actually financial competitors. So, like the fact that stakeholders exactly, but they're they're making a lot of money now. Yes, well, that's it, and that's why you know FIFA want to make a a FIFA World Cup to make lots more money. But the 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 thing that Manchester City are challenging this. Who knows what they, you know, if, if they were to be successful, who knows what the outcome of that is? Who knows whether we're not seeing a kind of redraw the landscape of who governs the game?
3: And, you know, we sh- shouldn't belabor the point because it's maybe not that interesting, but the, the PR side is really interesting. It's so aggressive for Manchester City. They've, you know, they've attacked, you know, uh, UEFA immediately. And, you know, and they're basically saying it was a prejudiced decision. They're saying that it's, judgment had been credible. cast before... Yeah, you know, the facts are in, which is nuts. And, you know, it's taken the leaf out of the book of, you know, political campaigns. And they've obviously seen Indeed. how well, in the wider world these things
1: work and they've taken the same time. Let's not get bogged down too deep in that side, but it's a very valid point. But I'm more interested in where are all the other teams? So if, if uh, this is how, how far and ahead City must be in terms of breaching these rules. Because you look at other teams, the, the one there's a one constant, there's the one placebo of Liverpool that seems to be like well, if they can do it within the rules, so that's re- redressing the balance here because I don't know how uh, City do. It. We, we flagged PSG, but we haven't flagged any other teams. Real Madrid, obviously, their own deal with uh, you know government. AC Milan, AC Milan, got, AC Milan got done Berlusconi. It but you look at these. Oh, they've not recovered. You know, no, there's
3: a team that have. But they also had a couple of different ownerships and a lot of disastrous, yeah, couple of years behind. Uh, the although it's not on
2: the same scale, Liverpool also. Uh, as the Times revealed uh, essentially hacked Manchester City's database for, yes. for recruitment so you know there was a lot of skullduggery goes on in oh, this yeah. sport this is this is, a t- this is like it ranges from geopolitical kind of proxy wars to just a <laughs> heck of a battle for the Premier League title <laughs> You are
1: literally hitting our listenership bang on the nose <laughs> oh, sorry, Geopolitical Proxy Wars <laughs> is the name of this podcast tonight, don't you worry I, And also just 20
3: huge owners in terms of owners, chairman. You know, these people are very successful in business yep. and in the sport and they will all climb each other to get to the very top.
1: That's it. Well, I think the the, the, the movement of business into the point of the CEOs and the boardrooms and the fact that it's a turnover and the, and the fact that the implications for City now become a kind of um, a P and l You know, it's profit and loss. So if they lose money each year, then is, is the business viable? How long is it viable for? You know, these sort of questions that are asked of football clubs now, it kind of takes the romance out of it a wee bit.
2: I mean, I think you were struggling to find romance in the first place, personally. <laughs> you know, I, let's, let's be honest, it's kind of the sports washing project. Um, it's a Gulf state. <laughs> we've come in and we've got perfectly clear aims. Uh, I, th- I I don't think we should be surprised that this is being happening. It's just that, A, it's taken uh, a hacker to, to uncover it, which yeah. is also quite worrying. You know, I think if it wasn't for that, then this would just continue and continue. And yeah. There is, one, there is one kind of little minor uh, comedy fact in, in that um, Liverpool are just about to win their first title in 30 years and they could, in theory, uh, be awarded the title in 2014 under Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: Do you know what? I think I, I get, Gareth, have you got anything a add stretch. to that? It's is... a stretch. Oh, yeah, no,
3: I, I have one more piece <laughs> of uh, it felt fantastic like there was comedy, throbbing. which is, uh, so apparently the, the first big financial thing that took Man City into a, a deficit was when they had to fire Roberto Mancini. Um, oh, wow. So imagine, you know, that's your legacy. You know, where did it all go wrong? Well, Mancini. Well, listen, it's,
1: it, we didn't talk a lot about football, but in terms of understanding the playing field and perhaps hearing for people that have studied it a little bit, it's certainly been clearer for me. So appreciate it. Uh, some football after the break. All right, welcome back. So uh, we discussed FFP. We'll leave FFP. We'll leave FAR. VAR? F-A-R. V-A-R. We'll leave, we'll leave all those acronyms. Let's talk about football this half. Uh, Gareth, I'm going to start with you because uh, we just came into this room after the stench of the Arsenal podcast was just leaving the room. And they're, they're, we can only call it a, you know, a rudimentary win, but you guys were involved in a proper game this weekend. The race for fifth is is real.
3: <laughs> um, we're yeah. back in the football realm. Back in the football realm. It's it uh, so I, I shouldn't be talking about Spurs uh, or Villa versus Spurs. Natch. Um yeah, it, it, it was uh it was a heck of a game. It was a great watch. Yeah, it was definitely game. the game of the weekend. Um I think Spurs were fortunate to win it how they did, but they you know, for the last thirty minutes they 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 pushed Villa pretty hard and uh, good Villa yeah. team. Good Villa team, but it, it it's it's an good it, team. Good, too. I mean, Greenish is absolutely fantastic, but you know, they uh, Villa have had a few games now where they've taken the lead and they they just can't hang on, and you know they're obviously missing you know a certain level of quality, or yeah, you know, obviously missing Tyrone Mings. This that's a very good point was, was a big deal, and you know a lot of people have pointed out that uh, Engels was largely playing in that position because of Mings's uh, uh, absence. So. Um, I mean, talking about Spurs as I want to do. It's you know, Spurs now won three in a row. It's it's looking quite good in points terms. I've still yet to see a convincing Spurs performance um, since Mourinho's come in. It, it's a very strange thing. I mean, maybe winning three two is the new Mourinho, but I doubt it's his preferred uh, method of, of victory.
2: They are like the least Josie Mourinho team <laughs> in the <laughs> world. It's so odd. I don't know. Cause I, <laughs> He's not even trying to spin it that like this is the new Josie, and he's kind of like he's that's, been he's been away like and he's, he's been like, away and he's kind of developed his attacking really philosophy. It's just that they're really bad at defending, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're managing to. It seems to always be like a moment, a mistake from the other team, a moment of, that, of brilliance, or a set piece. There's not really any sort of coherent strategy either to their attacking and. Certainly not the way it was under Pochettino and his his pomp. So, well,
1: it felt like when he first came over, though it felt there was a coherent strategy. It was like play your best players in the best positions and get on with it. What what happened?
2: I think that's just that you know, that's the easy easy option when you walk in the door and that's give give everyone a lift. But.
1: But why is that not the consistent option? What happens? Well, Harry Does he see no...
2: hurricane sort of left the building?
1: But even all right. Well, let's look at the, the the other players in the in the pitch. If you've not got a natural replacement at that level for a centre as front of the three, and the only position, only formation you play is that. Has he dabbled with a two up front guy? Um, no, he's he's basically
3: pretty much just played with one. He, he's mixed it from a a four five one to a four three three, but essentially it's it's always one through the middle. He's tried. Son, he's tried Mora. Uh, he started Son in this game, which is he hasn't done very often. Uh, but in during the game, he did switch it to actually uh, putting Deli Ali up front. Um,
2: Son always steps up when Harry Kane's been injured in the yeah, past. You he, know, last year He was that. phenomenal as well. Um, yeah, you know I think Spurs have still got enough attacking talent to kind of to be a little bit more convincing attacking, like, attacking wise than they have been. Um, defensively. I think they need an overhaul. Essentially,
3: it's yeah. I think there's a, a few players who've maybe gotten a little old very quickly in the last <laughs> season. I mean, Vertonghen looks pretty knackered, yeah. uh, out of a very road, old still a, a little good player. Quickly. But yeah, you know, he's he's thirty-one. Um, yeah. we've got three or four fullbacks who just aren't very convincing. But it is strange how they went from a very solid defensive unit under under Pochettino to to looking like a ragtag bunch. And I think the the biggest issue there doesn't appear to be anyone screening effectively in front of him. You know, Dyer, unfortunately, just
2: looks... Dyer looks to be getting a little old very quickly too. Yeah, like for, for
3: a 26-year-old. It's, it's a real That's shame. Concern, he's, really. he's had a really tough uh, couple of years. Um, he had sort of strange, chronic uh, set of injuries for with tonsillitis and various yeah, things yeah. that came out of that. And I don't know where he's just not recovered, but it's a shame because he, he looked like a promising player and he's just... He looks so poor at the moment. And, you know, obviously one of those players who's meant to come in and and do that was uh, Ndombele. And he's had his own injury issues and he's already fallen foul of Mourinho's uh, annoyance. Uh, Mourinho doesn't like injured players very much at all. No.
1: Well, I'm going to have to pick up on another point in the game that, uh, Greggy you just alluded to the Grealish factor. Is he the real deal?
2: Yeah, you know, I've been like. from a personal point, have you been on a journey with with Grealish? I wasn't... I thought it was a bit of a luxury. I thought, you know, I watched him a lot in the Championship last year. Uh, hell of a talent, always known that. But I didn't think he kind of. I wasn't sure he could do it when he stepped up a level, and I wasn't sure he he really had this sort of work rate and endeavour to go along with it. But he's just
1: in the flesh. Show him in the flesh and at clubs you were covering at the time. Lot, last
2: year? A lot last year, yeah. You know, he, he was he's the most talented player in the Championship by a country mile, but... Um, and really, kind of when he played, Villa 1 and when he was injured, they didn't. So it was kind of that stark, and it still is. So, but I, I, he's he's, imp- he's come on. He's, he's he's come on even more, I think, this season. He's 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 got. I think really, he's got to go. As much you know, I'm a Scotsman. You'll hear that by my voice. Yeah. I think he's got to go. Uh, he's got to be a part of. of
3: I Yeah, he's Gassi. been. The other thing I know is that he looks like physically he's matured a lot as well. Oh, yeah. He looks very. Like very physical, he's, he's quite stocky, but he looks incredibly strong. He's obviously worked on that side of his game. He is, I think, the most foul player in the Premier League. That's not for nothing.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, um, Greg, I'm not going to miss this opportunity to speak about this while you're here. We've spoken about Sheffield United uh, uh, extensively and just their impact on the league this year. Uh, after watching not just Grealish last year, but watching a lot of Sheffield United. Having played for Chris Wilder, also knowing Alan um what sort of impact do you think they've had, and is it sustainable for them uh, for past this season? Because they've been incredible.
2: Uh, well, it's a big question. Yeah, Let's break uh, it down. I should, first How, of all, I should say I played for Chris Wilder at Northampton Town, so it was certainly yes. not at Sheffield United. But and we were in different circumstances there. But he is someone who has got he's got a kind of a desire to win that seems to be a little bit. Above anyone else, really, he's he's pretty fearsome. Um, and Alan Nil, his assistant manager, is a very kind of sharp tactical mind. And I think the combination of the two is is proved to be brilliantly effective. Is it sustainable? Absolutely. I think if you were to speak to them, what they, the the thing with him as well with Chris Wilder is he never wants to stand still. So he'll be you know they're what the sixth in the league just at the moment. He'll be thinking. I'm not sure I want to be in Europa League, but we want, but we're going for it anyway. Imagine we're going for it anyway. Imagine
1: having that conversation uh, with the the, the backroom staff. It is a pinch yourself moment, though. This is the thing I, I find it. It's 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 brilliant, and it's the real stories about the Premier League. This is, I hate talking about the FFP because, to be honest, it's it's as interesting as it as it needs to be. But it impacts upon such a, it's such an important thing, and it's a fundamental. But the real stories, the real. Inner the gritty bit about you know the dressing room about the players about the people that are outperforming or you know that's what Shirley Wilder and Nil are achieving.
2: Yeah, and it, you know his 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 journey from kind of Alfred in Town, Oxford United, Northampton Town with us when when he joined Northampton Town with 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 say myself we were I think we we're seven points adrift at the foot of League Two, kept them up a season. And then the next season, they, they they romped the league under difficult circumstances. Chef United from League One all the way up. It's been a remarkable career. He's never yeah. been sacked. He's, he's kind of... It's just he's got a driving force behind him. He's, he's a fearsome competitor. And there are a lot of people you can say that about, but he manages to sort of relate that, to kind of convey that to the players in a way that other, other managers can't. You can, be a, you can be a fearsome manager, but it doesn't make you want to play for him. Yeah, and, you, and people right. people want to play for him, and when you combine that with what Alan Neil brings in terms of that, they have a you know quite a unique system of play, and they've signed players who they've you know they've they've seen on their way up on this journey. I think for them to go to the next level again, they, and they would openly admit this, they just need to improve the sort of standard of the player. And they, look, these guys yes. have done brilliant this this year, but they're just going to have to kind of lift up that next level in in terms of the recruitment and stuff. And that's the one caveat I would say is that. They've had a takeover of the club, uh, takeover of the club from you know a, a, another kind of Saudi owner, and that's slightly. There's a slight kind of question mark about what the future will hold for them there, um, how the recruitment will work, whether they'll be backed, and whether if they'll be backed in the way they want to be backed, and i.e. they, they sign their own players, yes. or whether players will be foisted upon them. These are all question marks at the moment. They're having a ridiculously good season.
1: They are. I, I love that insight. I love the fact because you can talk about these things and and when other players like Nigel Pearson and their managers, but to actually haven't played for these guys, it must be, you must be proud of seeing what he's achieving.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't see it coming though. I'm not no. too big to well, say that. Yeah. I did not see that coming when we were kind of struggling at the foot of League 2. Gareth,
3: I didn't realise that Chris Ward had never been sacked. That's a, that's pretty is, amazing. It's incredible. It's kind
2: of 17, 18 years.
3: I, I wonder how many, you know, managers in the Premier League have, have the same... Uh, same thing. With or them. players, not you know. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being sacked, lads. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's part happens, of the
1: journey. Will... Just moving on. Just keep on moving. We will get p P45 eventually. That's right. Just, you know, just keep on moving. Um, other games this weekend, uh, we saw Arsenal, as we alluded to earlier, 4-0, uh, you know, comprehensive win over Newcastle. Perhaps more flattering than it was. Did you, either of you guys watch it?
2: Yes. yes. Well,
1: that's that's all we need to talk Let's about. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, Arsenal uh, transition still going on, but they needed that win, didn't they? Because it was, it fell. too many draws.
2: Thank you. Were, you. could see the kind of you could see the work that Arteta has done already, which is a, which is highly encouraging. You could see the, these labours on, on the training ground, kind of new system of play, uh, more expansive. But the fact is, he's still got Mustafi at the back, um, <laughs> and. You know, I think he, I've, I've read today that he fell out with with Gunduzi in uh, in the, the training camp in Dubai, and th- there are these little issues. I think that that club has been coasting along for so long um, that he's going to have to have several transfer windows, I think, before he's really able to compete. But what you see is the kind of the beginnings of of a bright coach who who's who's it's also kind of got a ruthless streak to him as well. And I think I think there's, there's definitely definitely promising signs for Arsenal. The, the results have been. The results have been kind of underwhelming and that was a big win for them. But I think Arteta, they've probably they've got a bit of a steal there.
1: Are we back to uh, regular Premier League action this weekend? I'm not sure, but I was just going to ask yeah. you, again. it's been a bit, it's a bit bitty, isn't it's,
3: it? it? It's been, it's taken, scrappy. By the time it finished, it would have taken two and a half weeks to play 10, you know, different Premier League fixtures, which is a lot for anyone. Well, a
1: lot has happened in that time Indeed. as well. The, 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 the strange winter break,
3: uh, where it feels—it's a bit really kind of fake like a winter break. break, wasn't it? Really it you know, is. It's, it's winter very, fake. Um, <laughs>
2: it's a very odd
1: thing. Well, listen, gentlemen, it's it's lovely to have you both here, uh, Gregor. I hope we get you back on soon, but we can listen to you on your very own podcast at the minute, can't we not? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm co-host of the the Times the the Game Podcast by the Times,
1: the excellent supplement uh, available in the Times on Mondays. But also, do uh, you just cover the Premier League in that, or do you?
2: No, I write a column every Monday which focuses on. Uh, one club outside the Premier League each week, uh, hence the sort of Ipswich Lambert, could we, we read that to in today's? In today's paper, yes.
1: Uh, so that'll be yesterday's to the most people listening to this, but uh, but available online. Um, and also, are you off to next weekend, are you allowed to say?
2: I don't know. You always, you know, I've been here a couple of times. You asked me that, and I, my planning is not that extensive. Well, so yeah, well, so that's
1: that's giving me. <laughs> listen, mate, you're an, ex, you're one of my ex-teammates that is a, a contracted journalist at the times, and the, and you have your own column. I I call that enviable. Uh, if you're if you're ever going to go into that line of work, Gareth, uh, what are you up to at the minute? Uh,
3: planning for a busy summer. Off to. Uh, South by Southwest in Austin, which is a big old Well, la I
1: hear it's the nicest place to go in America. It's a lot warmer than, than it is here at the moment. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, is there anyone we can listen to that you're promoting? You uh,
3: should uh, check out Bab He's currently uh, on the A-list at Six Music. and <gasps> Is
1: flying.
3: that is that you? That is me. God. Well, not me. I, I, I work with him. Wow, well, wonderful. I'm actually, that's
1: that's awesome. Well, listen, thank you very much both for your input tonight, Miguel. Thanks for yours, Mark Smith. Not so much, but uh, we'll speak to you next week.
2: Bye.
1: This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit PlaybackMedia.co.uk.